I have this uh, little tongue tongue twister just to warm it up. Mm -hmm. I was like, uh, polys, polys, pixel polys, vertices and edges. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> polys, pixels, vertices, edges. everybody to the environment artist podcast my name is uh justin rodriguez and i'm ryan benno uh we're two uh environment artists in the game development industry uh i'm on the east coast i work at Firaxis games and uh, uh i'm like i said ryan benno <laughs> uh and i work at insomniac games on the west coast in uh los angeles california united awesome. states of america so uh, we're recording this uh, today. I, I got in touch with Ryan and I, I said, you know, there's a lot of great uh, game development pod uh, podcasts out there. And I, but I, I wasn't really hearing too much about environment art. And there's just so much stuff to talk about uh, between just uh, games in general and stages and levels, but also just creating environment art and uh, cool techniques and, and pipelines that people use and just talking about and celebrating certain art that's out there so i figured that we get together and try this out and and record a, a cool podcast mm -hmm. so uh i guess i guess the first thing we should get into ryan is talking about what uh environment game art is um do you want to take a stab at it first kind of i guess trying to define what we do <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 weird like it's like it's hard to describe so, so like the way yeah i don't know uh <laughs> Like, I think of whenever I try to describe my job to people that aren't into games at all, it's kind of hard to describe, right? Like, yeah, in games you can say, oh, yeah, I do the background design, right? Like, that's essentially kind of what we say for the most part. Um, and for a lot of other people, you can sometimes say, oh, yeah, I do background design for games, right? But then they think of, like, in a lot of cases, they're like, oh, right, yeah, I know. So, like, you draw all that stuff. And I'm like, no, I don't really draw i mean sometimes if i have to do like you know signage and posters or like you know like the best way to kind of describe it is almost like theater production design or like set design but you're doing it for like a 3d space i guess is probably the best way to describe kind of what we do absolutely yeah usually when i talk to people that don't work in the game industry it's the first thing i'll go to is uh have you ever played street fighter and i i work on the equivalent of the stages so like i work on the backgrounds uh, not the characters, but yeah, I, I think that really what we, what yeah, envir okay. game art, game environment art is now with the way that how big games are getting, especially in three dimensional space, and even with some VR stuff online, is like yeah, we're, the, what's going on in environment art now is just is really akin to set design and and um, yeah, world creation, world building. I mean, just that the the environments are getting so big in a lot of these games, and um, it's it's becoming a a really kind of cool experience to kind of follow through with the technical aspects of it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, like we get to do a lot of stuff that I think even like set designers don't get to necessarily do or like production designers on films do. We get people that can actually like be in our spaces, 
you know, yeah. like in the, those cases, like they're very controlled in terms of the view that you see particular about like shots and, you know, the you know, like 2D, like traditional 2D, very controlled view in terms of what you see, or if you do yeah. a narrative game, potentially you have a lot of fixed cameras, but you know, I think a lot of the games that we have, or, or, you know, some of the games you've worked on where like you have like an isometric view for stuff, but yeah. you know, uh, that can, yeah. right. They have their own challenges every single time. And you're like, Oh, I can actually walk in the space. I can, you know, if it's a first person game, you know, people can walk up to something you did look up close to it, as opposed to, you know, in another game, you might not be able to do that. Exactly. I mean, that's really what it, what it pins down to is just the amount of immersiveness that you and interactability or uh, interactive nature of just games in general. I mean, you, you find yourself kind of building these worlds, creating these worlds is more uh, more than a facade. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on into uh, uh, game environment art now, where it albeit Easter eggs and and little story uh, uh, environmental storytelling and little narrative clues that you're putting in games to have players kind of explore not only in the game design but just as a uh, little aesthetic notes to create this kind of mood and um and and feel for the players to just be immersed in uh, and uh, it's just pretty pretty exciting i mean i guess i guess yeah. that's a good good uh point to just basically talk about you know what makes good environment art uh, uh if you have any opinions about that and we can kind of go through that and yeah uh, it, it's interesting right because like i think for most people they would say well it's like you know really good lighting and materials and stuff like that but when you start getting to that form it can be a little subjective right like you know when you think of a lot of you know, AAA games, which in this case are like large, big budget games, right? They're like, you know, you're like Horizon Zero Dawn's of the world, you're Uncharted's of the world. Like, the you know, people would say, oh yeah, that stuff looks fantastic, but also, you know, there's so many different styles that we can kind of work with. It does come down to a lot of basic, fundamental, like art skills that apply to really any type of art, right? Like, good yeah. shapes, good composition in a lot of cases like you know it all depends on <laughs> yeah i don't get too overly complicated on the subject uh of what makes good environment art but i think it's you know it is a little like you you know it when you see it heck yeah yeah certain cases right it, like very much so nowadays it's funny that you say I that i've even seen god uh, oh no uh, it's like go ahead go ahead go ahead <laughs> uh, <laughs> um like I've been seeing uh, a fantastic guy on Twitter named Ethan Reed, uh, and and he's been experimenting even with like low poly PS1 Sega Saturn style looks to stuff. And you know, that's for awesome. a lot of people, that might be an aesthetic that's like, oh man, that's really kind of dated. But then you see the way that he does it, where it's very kind of clean shapes, clean colors, um, br bright colors in like a lot of cases, and the stuff just looks fantastic, right? Yeah. Um, so there's that perspective of it too, right? It's not just like, are you using, you know, the latest, greatest, like, tech out there? Are you using engine, you know, that can provide you with, like, every single bell and whistle that you want for post-process standpoint? Is your PBR in line? Are you using high-resolution textures? Like, you know, that matters to a certain extent. But, you know, again, it's, it is very much like 
kind of what I said earlier of like, you know it when you see it. Heck yeah. I, I mean, just really just establishing on that. It's like, I was playing through a couple games with my buds last night. Um, we were going through all different types of Persona and, and Overwatch and looking at the new Dissidia and, and, um, and Nier uh, Automata. And it's a one thing, even though the fidelity and the, the, uh, the, uh, of the assets in the sense of detail and photorealism and the style, the art direction changed between those games. The one thing that we noticed with all the games that was very strong is that they all supported, established, supported, and maintained a, a mood, almost like a really good movie set. I mean, you really were like playing these games <clears throat> and you, you felt like you were kind of part of this, this world. Uh, the, the immersion was real because of just the the really on point uh, composition of not only the space and level design, but just the use of colors and the use of lighting and how everything complemented with one another. And it just feels great when you go through really good environment art, depending on whatever game it is. I mean, the one thing that I always go back to as well with good environment art is just the amount, because we are making game art and it, it kind of serves the function of supporting whatever the gameplay is um, and helps us help support that is that the the the, the complement of the level design and the environment art to me like in that being like very close be it collision or how the, the the characters react to the environment ambient animation or or just the the colors of the space in comparison to what uh what the design is of the specific game uh mm -hmm. just feels super good in the game like uh i always bring up dark souls I, I won't talk about dark souls too much and it's like a but it when you play through dark souls even though it's an older game the art is one-to-one -one with the level design when you put your foot down i mean you hit the step you hit the stair and your character feels like he's kind of coasting around in this space and it feels really good uh even though it's a kind of an older game it's still mm -hmm. fun to go back to and it's something that i try to bring into my artwork i always try to make like really clean environment art and making sure that it's really just serving the purpose of whatever the design of the game is that I'm working on. You talked about earlier before about just uh, like environment art being very nebulous and there's all different types of camera angles and different types of games out there. And the one thing that we did with XCOM over the couple uh, couple years, many years at this point that I've been working on the franchise is that we bring the camera in really low for the shot when you're uh, taking shots at uh, the aliens and having that zoom in shot and then coming back to an isometric view was really challenging and fun because the player was looking at the game in different, two different angles, you know, and it wasn't just a fixed camera. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so it really created a challenge to have all the assets hold up when you, you brought the camera in and not just being a detail thing, but also all those camera shots feeling fun and, and engaging and having the environments feel great while looking at isometric view, but also, you know, uh, behind the shoulder of the character yeah. so i mean I, th I just think that's really the the big thing for me is just always the back and forth with design and where that where design and the uh environment art complements one another yeah for sure and you know like hey look not to not to brown nose you a little bit here but you know there is something really magnificent during like xcom like the first time that i played it and you get that shot right like one of the first levels that I came across was that I think it's like a street level and there's like a shopping area it might be like a supermarket or something. And like the wall got taken out at some point, but then the camera comes in and I'm just shooting over and, and you just get that sense of like, there's actually been a battle here. Right. 
Like, it's not just my character leaning over a wall. The wall has been destroyed. It's part of the story that's happened during this mission that I've been playing through. And so the camera, along with how the environment is reacting to the gameplay, it really kind of creates this very, like, cinematic moment, you know, which is, like, what I think a game like XCOM does incredibly well. Um, It's, like, stuff like that. It's just, like, oh, cool, this is, like, really neat, right? And, like, the environment reacts to specific things, right? So, like, that stuff is... So from the game or from the standpoint of like gameplay, it's all happening gameplay, right? It's not a cutscene. It's not something that's like pre-made. Um, it's something yeah. that happened dynamically because of the decisions I made and because of the decisions, you know, the the enemy, you know, AI made as well. But they're, you know, you're playing this game back and forth on this stuff, and it just feels, you know, it has that cinematic moment that I think is used and thrown around a lot. Uh, in this industry, but really it's like, you know, that's one of those moments it's like, yeah, this is great. Heck yeah. I, I think that's like one of the biggest things about uh, their biggest payoffs with with really finding that sweet spot with environment art and, and marrying it to the level design of game and, the, and, and just the overall game design of whatever game you're working on. It's just mm-hmm. the, you get this great emotional response uh, and it sticks with you. I mean, I, I go back with all my favorite games that I've played and all the favorite moments of those games and cinematic moments, and they're always within the gameplay. It isn't really a cutscene. It's just these big... It's, if it's either a set-piece moment where it, you're surprised with some new vista or something as gritty and real as like you're talking about, just like an over-the-shot camera of of something like XCOM or or I'm thinking of uh, Gears of War with the, their... Um, their focus points when you click the button and you can actually see things happening in real time where they, 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 they take the camera from you and, and show you, you know, an objective point or a nav point. I love that mm-hmm. type of stuff when you're actually feeling like you're in the space and you're able to control your character, but it just, it sticks with you. I mean, the, um, it just it, between that, just the, the mixture of the mixture of the colors and the lighting, it just feels like a, a, a good painting, but a, a, a painting in actual motion. I know that, uh, people talk a lot about cin- uh, cinematography and 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 movies that way, and it, I really do think that movies incite that emotional response as well. But when you're actually in that space and you're able to move your character around and see all three dimensions mm-hmm. and jump up and interact with things, I just think it's uh, super fantastic. It's- yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, and you know, I think of stuff like you know the first time you're riding on a horse in Shadow of the Colossus, heading yeah, towards. Yeah like the mountain where you're, you know, you hold up the sword as a beam of light and you're just running and, you know, just the way that it frames everything, the environment itself, right? Like this is a PS2 game, obviously, you know, next month there's a PS4 remaster, but there's, you know, that game still holds up from an art, from an art direction standpoint, maybe not from a technical standpoint in terms of what we would expect to see from a fidelity level now, right? Like it's a game that runs in 480, i 480p resolution most games now run it like try to run it at about 1080p right yeah. uh yep. texture sizes model sizes quality isn't quite there but the art direction is so strong in that game that it kind of overcomes a lot of that right like and so a game like that will hold up i think uh longer over time than something you would see that maybe doesn't necessarily have that same, you know, going back to the statement of having a strong art foundation, yeah. uh, it makes a huge difference in having an understanding of that, you know, and also to the point of what you made too, right, is like, you know, we have to serve the purposes of design 
Absolutely. You know, doing like an, you know, so doing open world games like Sunset Overdrive, like, you know, we had restrictions to the way that we had to art buildings because our characters could run across the wall. But, yep. you know, so like we can fill the walls up with like a bunch of different pipes and stuff and, you know, vents and like AC units and whatever else we wanted. But also, you know, I, I, I think a, not necessarily a consequence, but a, but a, 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 uh, I can't think of the word. We'll do like a consequence of this, <laughs> but like yeah, it's not yeah. a bad thing. But like the term, but like because of that, the style was able to be very kind of clean. So we didn't have like a lot of little micro details necessarily on buildings. So we was able to have very kind of flat, clean, full color surfaces for a lot of the stuff we had. Right. So it served the purpose of gameplay of making sure that it feels fun to play on when you're running across a building. You're not just running through a bunch of stuff that might like hit you or, or like just too much stuff that's on the screen that just feels kind of weird. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The, the whole collision aspect and, and clipping through geometry is something that I, I know that a lot of games deal with, but it's something that we dealt with with XCOM too. And it's just that the, the way that we made our buildings in, in comparison to yours, mm-hmm. is, there's a lot of uh, fracturing and destruction that goes, goes uh, along with uh, the gameplay. So we really had to make our buildings a certain way. So it supported that. And mm-hmm. uh, you really just try your best to kind of make um, specific kits and pieces to reinforce whatever's going on in the game and really try to showcase whatever that, you know, those spe- specific facets of gameplay yeah. uh, are. In the Very game. much so. I, th- I think that's a really good uh, kind of a transition here to kind of get into the game art discussion of environment art. I mean, the one thing that's really uh Interesting to me is that uh, going to school um, since, uh, in high school, I knew I wanted to uh, get into art professionally, whether or not, whether it be a, an art teacher or I didn't even have games on mine at the time or just uh, being a painting, you know, part time or whatever. I knew I wanted to do something and I, I, I was really, really into uh, landscape painting. I still am. I, I try to landscape paint as much as I can. I don't do it as much as I want to. But um, the one thing that game art that that stands out uh to from uh, as from painting to me in comparison to game art is that game art has all these kind of uh f- for lack of a better term uh restrictions and rules that we 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 set up so uh the art runs well the game plays well and um and these limitations while you know i, I don't want limitations to sound like a bad word but that we have these certain rule sets that we do to keep things clean and have things run and fit on a disc and 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 fit on certain types of computers and run on certain types of graphics cards and i feel like all of that is really what kind of makes game art special uh game artists are 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 really intelligent people that solve a lot of puzzles and a lot of problems to create some really fantastic art uh on screen and have it be in this immersive experience. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think what might be really interesting, and I'm getting a little long-winded here, but is to kind of, I guess, go through and talk about uh, some uh, solving visuals and within game art. And like, let's, I-, I would like to kind of get into talking about modular kits and and uh, kind of asset creation and any thoughts that you have with that and some maybe some, some uh, tips and tricks. Yeah, and it, like, one of the things that like I found a lot too as I've kind of like progressed through my career too. So like a little bit about my background too, right? It's like so like I knew also I wanted to get into art to some extent, right? I knew I was either 
you know, I grew up right down the street from one of the most well-renowned or well-renowned um, animation schools in CalArts. So for a long time growing up, I was like, oh, I'm going to go to CalArts. I'll go, you know, I'll go be an animator. Um, but I ended up falling into, after a couple weird stops along the way into 3D art and really just falling in love with it and also the sense of like set design and building that. And, you know, I think this is the path for a lot of us um, and, and, and for a lot of people right now as well, you know, that are starting out early in their careers, like, you know, you don't really necessarily have the experience of working on a team and you're told through school, you're told online through other professionals of like, get a portfolio, get your stuff in there, get your scenes in there. And that stuff's all important, right? You still have to be able to make stuff of quality. Yeah. There's stuff that's required a level of craftsmanship that a lot of places would expect uh, when they're hiring people and looking to hire people. But there's a huge difference between making pieces for a portfolio, whether that's a small video or a couple of screenshots, and a huge, huge difference between making an entire game that has to run, uh, you know, at a specific frame rate, a specific resolution uh, yeah. that fits on a disc for the most part, for a lot of times. Uh, and, you know, it, and the scope and scale of the game can change based off of the fact that you are making a specific type of experience that is sometimes devoid when you're just trying to make a pretty environment that's, you know, for a portfolio. And that stuff, again, no discount against that, but it is a completely separate uh, leap when you go from making portfolio work to properly being a game artist and understanding all of those technical limitations and not just from a technical standpoint, but also from a yeah. production standpoint, a scheduling standpoint, all of that stuff absolutely uh, yeah. really comes to the forefront and you have to be able to adjust to that stuff. Otherwise, you know, it's, you, you're going to run it. You're, you're going to have a bad time for the most part. Like that's what you're going to end up having. Um, so yeah, you know, and you know, the last handful of years for me has really been, um, focused on that right like i've been super Absolutely. fortunate in my career to have worked with incredibly talented teams of really great craftsmen and artists and technicians in the environment department as well as our support from you know people that work on our engine you know internal engines you know a core team or tools team or technical artists you know animators or you know scripters and guys that are able to make my life a lot easier in a lot of cases yeah. where I'm like, Hey, I don't know material. I want this to work. And they're like, Oh, I can do that. Right. Like, yeah. That. And you have people that specialize in that. But I think as environment artists, a lot of us inherently aren't technicals because we are. And, and for, for a lot of us tend to be more in that artistic end of trying to figure out, okay, I still want this to look really good at the end of the day because that's all that matters. Like they're not going to care that like I had to reduce this model down, you know, you know, 2000 tries to get it into frame or reduce the amount of LEDs or add LED in like in there. Right. Or how many textures or materials are on here. I just care that this thing looks pretty at the end of the day and people like this. Right. Absolutely. I, I think that was one of the, the interesting things in general is that you, when you're getting into the environment art, you know, uh, it you always will have, you know, nice set pieces and hero pieces. But really the, 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 the cream of the crop ends up being these, you know, really well thought out, 
almost puzzle puzzle like assets and modular kits that fit together that really kind of help block out the space and and really fill it out and help out with whatever the the level is trying to achieve within the game i mean there's there's usually you know even if one game has a specific you know design i mean like level to level you'll you'll have you know different cues or notes within the, the design and, and the, uh, the environment art in general, where you're trying to solve these little problems. And I think that's what's really interesting about it is that, you know, you have all these beautiful assets and you're like, okay, I have to make, you know, these 10 things. How am I going to fit these 10 things into this space? I have this much time to do it. And um, I think that's the most enjoyable process is that, you know, you're sitting down, you're still creating art, but you're also having to kind of find fun solutions. And sometimes, you know, uh, uh, painful solutions, you know, depending on how much time or money you have, you know, counting on who you ask, but you get this stuff in and you realize it's like, Matt, you know, man, like all these little puzzle pieces that I made fit together. And I'm, I'm really just liking kind of solving these, these little, uh, these little situations and going from level to level and doing that. It's just something really unique. I feel like to something that I've experienced in environment art, game environment art than I have in any other art medium. I mean, you always mm -hmm. will have certain things that push back uh, in any medium that you, you know, be it clay or wood and the wood grain when you're carving. But um, environment arts also, man, just because of the amount of uh, kind of people that it takes and having, you know, like a certain amount of artists and you're all working together, just kind of spinning all these plates. And when they all get set down on the table together and you know, dinner's ready, it's just it feels like a million bucks, especially those last couple yeah weeks and months on a project when you start seeing everything fall into place. Yeah, very much. you know, and like we're at a point now too, where just from a technological standpoint, like you're seeing a lot of games that are going to hold up visually more than I think the 2D era games, right? Like just from a 3D standpoint, like we're seeing stuff, you know, like that just is going to hold up, I think, much better than stuff that's that's happened even like you know five ten years ago yeah. so, you know and it's easier to make good looking games now there's not you know the yeah. resources are out there in terms of just learning how to model how to use the tools how to use engines of those engines to do what you need to do it really just comes down to execution and you know Heck the yeah. amount of time that you have and in a lot of cases it's also like um you know, ahead of time and saying, all right, I'm going to make this setup here. I'm going to make this system. Is this going to work for me a year or two down the road when we're yeah. having more than just myself or a handful of other artists? If we have 10, 15, 20 other artists on here, are, you know, are, are there going to be issues with me having this naming convention or the way that this model is kind of sent, like set up kind of the way you were talking about in terms of like, like that stuff all really matters and you have to take that into account. And a lot of times, you know, you may get lucky and you'll hit. There's also a lot of times where you're going to miss and you have to make some adjustments, right? Or yeah, stuff yeah. that was like, oh, we're going to do this because it worked on the last project and we're doing a similar thing here. And then you realize actually that doesn't work for whatever yeah. reasons it might be, right? It's a change in art direction. Yeah, change in design. Yeah. In scale, like it all can kind of, you know, matter. So again, it is very much like you have to be able to be aware of that stuff when you're working. And hopefully you're surrounded by a team that is trying to, you know, take a step back and say, what are we not doing well? 
can we adjust this for this project at this moment? Or is it something that we're going to push off and say, ah, we'll wait until we're done with this and we'll move on to the next thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's, for me, I'd rather work on teams that say, no, let's fix this now. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's, there's it, always depending on what the situation is and where you are, it's, you know, it might have different, you might have a different outcome, but the, the amount of iteration in game development, I, I know it's, it's been a, a big, I mean, there, there's, there's bad iteration and good iteration, but iteration in general is something that really makes uh, game development strong. You're, you're able to kind of go through uh, as cleanly as possible, make these kits specifically for environment art and, and assets. And, you know, you make them in such a way where you're, you try to be as efficient as possible and you might have to kind of come through and, and switch things up depending on um, design changes or like a, a little tweak in art style, which it honestly is one of the more enjoyable things to me is that you, you make some, you, you know, you're, you're painting this painting for uh, lack of a better example or creating this environment and you, you come, you stumble along a happy accident, you know, either you've, you put up a, a piece in of a modular kit or, or, or uh, checked in a texture or something and, and something just looks a little different and you realize that, you know, man, if we just, if we had time to update A, B, and C, uh, is this just going to look way better? This is, you know, what a, what a great happy accident. And that, I think that's one of the, the more fun uh, or one of the more enjoyable uh, aspects to kind of going through and solving these problems or not problems, problems are bad, uh, solving these kind of like puzzles and, and uh, like solve these puzzles or, 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 or <laughs> finding solutions to whatever. <laughs> I'm like, hold on, hold on, polys, polys, <laughs> the, uh, you know, just trying to go through and solve, solve whatever uh, little issues that you're coming across and, and working together to do this is, is, is really cool. I mean, like, and games are kind of getting bigger, generally, some of the bigger AAA titles, and you're working with more people. And so the spaces end up getting bigger. But we've never really thrown away old techniques. I mean, if you go and look at techniques that we're using on older systems or in older game generations, we still try to keep that tech around and those and those pipelines around or or, or, or little uh, fragments from that stuff around because it really does help a lot to keep this uh, the art that you you make for environments efficient and and mm -hmm. well made. It just means later on, hopefully, you end up being able to put more stuff in your game or polish more. And that's really yeah. what it comes back to. It comes back to that mood, the amount of polish that you get, and the really what you end up evoking for the player. Yeah, with that, absolutely. With that being said, uh, I guess we can kind of go through some of the the uh, kind of like pipeline, pipeline processes and just like kind of overall kind of uh, scan through um, some of the footnotes of what it takes to kind of make environment art. And one thing that I kind of highlighted here is just gray boxing and like a proxy pass, which I've been seeing a lot more of recently in ArtStation and, and behind the scenes looks at other game developers is that uh, environment artists aren't, aren't afraid anymore to kind of show in progress work um, of games that come out. And it's, that's really awesome to see screenshots like that. I remember yeah. seeing recently, uh, uh, again, coming across it again of uh, some old crisis gray boxes of some of their environments and then seeing the final product. and. I love kind of getting my hands dirty. I mean, that's one of the things that I really like to do when working on a new project is getting in there in pre-pro and just gray boxing out these spaces with the level designers and saying, okay, let's this, how's this space going to feel? And just knowing that, you know, it's not going to be finished, but just kind of getting and trying to invoke these moods with just as little tech as possible, as little finished assets as possible. 
I think is really special mm-hmm. because you know that if you get it to a certain point with, with almost nothing, um, with no bells and whistles, that there's a really good chance that when you start filtering this stuff in and layering in these details slowly but, but surely, um, it's going to look and feel great. Do you do yeah, a lot of uh, gray boxing where you're, uh, where you're working now? Uh, it it kind of depends on – actually, we haven't really. No, not lately. Um, but, like, we do some things – it's kind of an extreme case, right? We had the original levels as our block out. So we brought those in into our current tool set Awesome. in a lot of cases, right? So yeah, that's yeah. – in a lot of ways, that's kind of our own block out. But it was like, here's the models. Here's the textures from, like, 2000 or 2001 when the original team made this game, right? And so we would yeah. build off of that. And then, you know, cool. you know, if it's stuff that's like one-off sometimes or like additional things, we might do a lot of block out, um, you know, but, uh, you know, we, we, it's a lot of Houdini now to help us do stuff. And, you know, I can't get too much. Moment, uh, but, uh, you know, for stuff like, sunset overdrive you know we would have you know yeah designers would go in and do blockouts of like what kind of what they wanted the space to be and yeah. then because we're doing kind of an open world city you spent a lot of time focusing on exterior and because we get you know just going to be kind of a reoccurring theme here on the podcast talking about modular pieces because i know justin <laughs> spent a lot of time working <laughs> yeah. with them on his end, I spent a lot of time on it. So, you know, there's a lot of for, you know, and again, this is that we've made, but this is our own experience on that stuff. But, yeah. um, and so, yeah, right. Like we would usually have like most of our assets ready to go whenever we needed to go do like, you know, all right, I have this, you know, three block radius of a city. I need to block out wall pieces that I've already been using on these other things during production, just kind of cover the building with it. Yeah. Um, at Telltale, we definitely did do a lot of blockouts, and that's because the, you know that game is more applicable to that, right? It's a lot of like s- traditional set design. You're going from space to space, um, and that yeah. stuff was always helpful. That's kind of where I first learned also about the idea of like actually doing like color passes on blockouts that's, uh, along yes. the way, like yes. just to be able to get you know like it kills two birds with one stone, or maybe more than two birds, but like. <laughs> You know, you can get your lighting in there because your lighting is also color to a certain extent, right? So you can kind of get those balanced out, get your color scheme ready. And then also part of it is that it can actually give you asset like lists, you know, based off of like, oh, you know, originally I was thinking this wall was and actually I need a little bit of like a trim piece down below, just some little lip down there. I don't have a texture for that, so I need to make sure that I have that in there, right? Yeah, that stuff can even add into there. That's that's the one thing that's really interesting recently is I've been doing this a lot in my personal work is a lot of color blocking. I've actually – I don't know if this is the best way. I mean you can, you can go in. I've been using a lot of Unreal 4 where I'll, I'll go in and kind of want to color block out. And at first I was just creating duplicates of these like very basic materials. And I was like, ah, you know, I really would like to kind of work with a color key – uh, that's more contained. I don't feel like having to go through and click on each one of these materials and then change the RGB value or whatever I'm doing. So what I've been doing now is actually taking like a little 512 by 512 sheet and with my proxy assets, 
at home and, and kind of scaling them down, like UVing them really quickly, like flatten mapping or something like that, and throwing them into these little swatches. And then working with the swatches um, in something like Photoshop or Substance Design or whatever, wherever I am at the time, most, mostly Photoshop. So I like mm -hmm. to use I like to use like a cooler or you know the the color picker from time to time and just like get kind of crazy and see what I can do with color theory and just for fun. But I, I'll work with the swatches and then when I change the swatches out, I always know that I, there I have in this little five twelve by five twelve like a little color key for my environment. But I also have it on the assets now and it helps so much with scope and just you start to look at the environment and you're like you know what am I going to do for reuse and stuff and you start kind of making correlations to, you know, the different ma materials or colors that you're seeing in the space and what those materials might be. And then you're saying, oh, I can make this tiling texture sheet for, you know, uh, you know, props one, two, and three, and I can use this over here. And then when I go and actually start resing in or, or filtering in the final assets, um, and I'll take out the proxy stuff, it, it just, it always kind of fits and it, it just makes it feel yeah. better and more alive when you're going through the project. And that's something that I would mm -hmm. love to kind of filter into more of my professional work but that uh, gray boxing in general is probably one of my favorite spots it's at the beginning i love the stuff in the middle but the beginning and the end which is what i guess would be great to kind of talk about is uh and i know that we'll have future podcasts where we get really into the nitty-gritty of specific uh you know uh, on unwrapping techniques and making modular kits and especially stuff for students uh, later on, but just kind of like going through an overview of uh, set dressing and just kind of like final polish this is one of my favorite things to work on. You know, you, you, you get everything in you have at this point, you, your game's figured out and your, your styles figured out. Hopefully, you know, you're just making little final touches or tweaks, but you're able to go into these environments, depending on what your, your limitations are and what engine you're using and just start, you know, putting the narrative storytelling, tweaking the lighting. And kind of working with the colors here and there. I mean, that's probably my favorite part to work on. How about you? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, that's uh, you know that's the time that I love the most. It's also I think we both could probably agree it's the time you spend the least amount in terms of <laughs> yes. Right? It's like you spend a percent of your time trying to just get there, and you're like, oh my gosh, I've spent so much time using this stuff. I'm over this, and yeah. then. You know, then it's like, cool, I get to polish for like 10 minutes. Amazing 10 minutes you have, like, during the day. You're just like, yes, I can do all this stuff, right? Oh, my um, gosh. For me, definitely the best part of the job is really that stuff, right? And, like, I secrets that, like, I love doing narrative design in environment art. And so that's yeah. where that really kind of shines, right? Is like, yeah. you can spend all that time. It's it's at least nice, I think, in terms of a workflow and the stuff from like a narrative standpoint, it kind of makes sense, right? It's like, you spend so much time doing modeling and UVing, you can kind of zone out at a certain point and be like, oh yeah, right, okay. When I get to like the polish stage for this, I can do this and this stuff in here and this can, can all kind of connect, right? Like it gives you the time to be on like the project of what you might be on, right? There might be already a vision in place, but there's yeah. always ways for you to kind of add little things in there oh absolutely intimate with the work that you're doing that, that you know a director that's looking at everything from above high up and is caring about like ten thousand things at once you can at least be like oh hey i get what their vision is i'm gonna kind oh, of absolutely i mean you know do what, what like i can to add on to this yeah it, yeah that's, i mean that's the thing it's like 
hopefully at that point, like I said, it's like you have like this really, you know what the space is supposed to be. And then just adding these kind of errant details that allow you, allow the mind to kind of wander. So you have a, a player working through whatever space it is, be it a first person shooter or third person or a strategy game. And you just start kind of dropping other little assets in and creating other little stories. And it really does fill out the corners of a scene or of a level. Yeah. I always think back to like even yeah. like old Street Fighter 2 levels. It's like you're playing this game. Your main focus is two characters, but they have all these other people in the background. Most of them are like cheering. Like, <laughs> but it, it, but it's just cool, man. It's like you, you start kind of like looking at all this yeah. stuff and you're like, this is really what makes a space feel lively. And, you know, you get out there and you, you walk around wherever you live, be in the countryside or in the city, and you, you see trash on the ground. And there's all these little notes that you subliminally pick up on in your everyday experiences that kind of re like remind you subliminally that the world that you live in is just alive and kicking and just moving at this pace that you can't even really comprehend. And getting some of that yeah. into a level just makes just takes it so far out of a static space. And it does so much and it's so it, well you know, movement plays a huge part into that too, right? Like kind yeah. of what you were mentioning, right? It's like movement's a huge part of those background designs, right? Heck yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's that's the thing too, is like amb ambient animation. Oof, it's I could <laughs> It's, it's like uh, this is the podcast of gushing over <laughs> special tech and and details that you can put in your <laughs> environment. Yeah, but it's just like it, you know, it's great. I mean, and the other thing that really like that it really stands out to me, like other than just like stages and fighting games. I mean, that's always going to be a big inspiration to me. But just Easter eggs in video games, just stupid little things that were kind of hidden by the developers back in the day when the, the teams were very mm -hmm. small and they were just doing these little jokes. I mean, that's the stuff it, 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 you go back and look at certain Easter eggs from different games. They have almost like a mythical status and it's just some yeah. dude or, or uh, some guy or gal sitting at their computer, just kind of messing around and just being like, I'm going to list this here, but, but it just creates this mystery and it just creates this depth to a level that really, it might just be like, you know, four walls and a floor and a ceiling. And it's just like, man, you're, you're already feeling, just like you're in some other space. I mean, and even going back to those, some of those games, I mean, it's just, it's awesome. I, I think that's like, even as games get bigger, it's hard to kind of get that stuff in, but like when you can, it, it makes a difference. It really does go the mile. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's really just like dressing. It's really just like, I can zone everything out. I just focus in on it. And it's just very spontaneous, right? Like, it's very much like, oh, I'll put this thing here. I can put this here. Oh, I can put this kind of detail down here that I hadn't really, right? Yeah. It, just trying to fill in the space with some variety of of assets, right? And I think especially, like, large teams, kind of like what we do, you tend to usually have a large palette of assets to work from. Um, yeah. And so that also helps out a lot as opposed to if you're just doing personal work, you know, like, all right, I have to make these, you know, if you're doing like a storefront or something and you want to add, you know, like racks of clothes or just like, you know, displays of all the merch that you can buy. It's like, oh yeah, I have to make every single one of these things. Yeah. <laughs> so how do yep. I do that? Right. And yeah. so at least, you know, on a professional end, it's nice to be like, oh, cool, I have all these assets. Some of them I made, but a lot of them, are, you know, the team has provided to some extent and being yeah. able to just move stuff around and it's fun, right? Like it's not, yeah. you know, you're not focusing on like the materials of specific 
like objects and making sure, you know, like building a model is fun in its own right, but I think that there's a very specific, special kind of like joy that comes out of just that sense of creation that gets kind of halted when you're having to actually produce a prop as opposed to just like creating a scene. Heck yeah. I have yeah. all my tools, I have things ready to have to do the work of placing it in there and making sure this all feels right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the things too that I always talk to other environment artists and artists out there, even character guys. And I'm just like, dude, get in get in the scene and just whatever game you're working on and just just for the heck of it, like, you know, if you have a couple hours during lunch or whatever like that, or just just move stuff around and just build your own little kingdom or, you know, like little little scene. Cause it's really just like not only does it help you kind of understand the assets in your game and stuff that maybe you ha haven't made, but it really starts letting the cre creative juices flowing. And it lets people kind of know that like, it's such an important part of the the process of just kind of mm -hmm. placing this stuff. And, you know, you see a lot of teams actually have just like dedicated world builders and just like the only thing they do is kind of like create these places and invert paint for hours and all that stuff is really, <laughs> really does shout at you're like, oh, please. No. <laughs> but it's like, you know, just like all that stuff really does show. It's just like, gosh, you know, it's, it's just it just kind of scratches this itch, especially now with like, depending on like what, what stuff you're working on, but like some of the cool kind of like blending materials that you're seeing kind of get kicked out of Unreal 4 and like the height map stuff and, and then just using stuff like Substance Designer and and being able to kind of kick like really quickly process different materials and have them all work together. Um, mm -hmm. It's just super cool. I mean, like between that yeah. and just like gathering all the assets that you have and mess around with them, it's just a, it's a blast. Yeah, so, no, it's, it's, it's fun. I, I know we can talk about this forever. And and we will. We'll, we'll definitely. We come literally back to this. could, and we literally have before. We so. literally have before. Yeah. So, uh, I guess I, I guess the, what would be cool is kind of like you know the podcast has been going for a, a while, and I know you guys have been listening. Um, I, I think that we should try to uh, switch gears here, and maybe just talk about some cool things that uh, we've seen out there, some cool tech, maybe some cool websites, um, and you know just talk about that, and then kind of close out here. Um, mm -hmm. Ryan, is there anything that you've seen recently that you want to kind of give a shout out to or anything that you've been kind of working with at home? Yeah, I mean, well, it's not necessarily fully environment art related, but it was something that I think, you know, kind of harkens back to a little bit of like the foundational work of what we do, right? So like, yeah. and not to go on a huge tangent here, but like I do think it's important for environment artists to look outside of ArtStation and looking outside of like the realm of what we have. Um, yeah. And, you know, even beyond that, right? Like, you know, not just saying, all right, let's go look at like concept art from a film or let's look at like, like going beyond that, looking at traditional art, looking at other visual art forms or just other art forms in general. Um, because you can learn a lot about that and you can also see how a lot of the same skills and a lot of the same stuff that we do uh, can sometimes apply to stuff in the real world, right? So like, you know, for us, we don't have to work with the real world and real world conventions, but there's other people that do set design and photography that do have to like rely to that stuff. So absolutely, um, one of the guys that I came across last week uh, when I was just kind of fiddling around on the internet uh was a photographer and I, I need to make sure that i have his name here correctly it's uh gregory kredson uh -huh. 
Kretzen? I'm not quite sure. Um, but he did this fantastic, like he's in these series of photos um, that have these very kind of like cinematic, like feel to them. Uh, they're mostly all set in very like American suburban towns and small towns. And there's kind of an element of melancholy. There's um, um, he's actually apparently very influenced by by, by uh, David Lynch, which is a huge awesome. influence of both Justin and I as well. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> um, and like he's it's, it's it's like there's a documentary about him called Brief Encounter, and and it goes over his creation process of how he makes these. Uh, large photos and you know like awesome. you can do a google search of gregory kretzen and just like suburbia and you'll see this very kind of like beautiful cinematic looking like shots and what i learned about this is that these shots are usually massive like in terms of the actual like canvas they sit on when he's um printing them out and having them out for a gallery show. And so there's this massive amount of detail in these things that even, you know, like you, you look at a thumbnail and go, okay, that's nice. But like when you have that context of like, these are massive and it's meant to be seen in that context. Um, it's really impressive. And he's doing stuff that as an environment artist, I found that was very compelling because he's doing not stuff that, uh, you know, what you would think of as a traditional photographer doing, right? Of like going out and just being very spontaneous and trying to capture stuff in the moment. He's staging everything. He's bringing in basically like a giant film crew into this like small town and, and, and setting up all of these shots and hiring models and like going out and like trying to like, like you know like get permits to like block off sections of the city so he can do these wide shots of just like rows of houses or, or buildings or um it, you know and and you know the documentary where he uh has the street closed off and ends up having a guy going down like this row of houses and, and this little bar that's kind of the focus and just like wetting the entire road which like you know as like environment artists we're like oh man yeah 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 no wet that road because you know like wet ground surfaces always look really nice right and <laughs> yeah. and like when you think about that you're like right yeah no if i were to do this in real life i would have to pay somebody or get somebody to go there you know in a car with a hose and like spray down every single thing right um he's bringing in giant studio lights to to use to like help sh shoot specific things um he's staging a bunch of different bits and then he also is going to like sound stages and actually building whole sets as well that he's shooting stuff in right so if he has like an interior of somebody that looks like they're in a motel or something and he wants to be able to have the shot looking through into the bedroom and maybe like the bathroom off to the side and have the doors open and stuff like that he's building all of that but great amount of attention to detail paid to his work that is uh i find very admirable in terms of the type of work we do that i think people that aren't necessarily into the scene might think like wow you guys are really like micromanaging every single little thing but it's like you know i've been involved with and doing screenshots that you're going to send out to the media and you have to be meticulous about every single one of those things that you do right like all the way through is like you put out a trailer you got to make sure every single one of these shots has you know little details here and there and filling it in people are critiquing it over and over again and it was very much you know again i felt like this was a kindred spirit in a lot of ways of what we're doing so um yeah again the documentary is called brief encounter uh you can rent it on Amazon. It's about an hour and a half. It's 
really, really good, though. I highly recommend it. It became one of my instant favorite, like, art documentaries that, like, as soon as I was done, I went back and rewatched it, like, the next day, in which I rarely ever do for any film at all. Um, so I was like, yeah, this is just really cool stuff. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, that's, yeah, this, yeah, this, yeah, that's what I it's, got. It's super awesome. I, I, I'm looking at his images. I, I know I, I saw a, a few things. That we'll have to put them up here in the links, and hopefully maybe I'll throw some uh, images while you, uh, uh, in the final version of this. Um, it, it's just fantastic. I mean, his stuff is super cool. It definitely seems inspired by Twin Peaks for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's, it's wild. I mean, like, yeah, the one thing that, you know, we have logistical concerns of like, you know, being able to get shaders and everything just to make the streets wet, but to actually have to truck in water trucks and have people squirt down the streets. And then depending on how, what the temperature is, what time of day it is, it's like, dude, this is just crazy. Some of these images are just fantastic. It's super cool. It's crazy, right? And like, he's talking about like, you know, there's shots in that he's like, I literally only have 20 minutes to take this shot because this is the point where the sun is at, right? Where for us, we're just like, Cool. All right. We'll just switch this knob around, or, or 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 change the light around, and get and get it to work, right? Um, and so you know, it gives you a, a different perspective on on kind of like the work that we do. It, you know, like for me, I like seeing that stuff because I think in a way it can help to kind of ground the work you do and give a little bit of a perspective of like, right, would this object actually work in this space? Like, yeah, realistically, right? Unless you're going for something different, right? But, yeah. um, you know, if you're doing something where you want to have reality as a basis and gravity and all the other natural elements tied into that. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, in general, like, you know, it's a really, yeah, it's cool stuff to see in general. Heck. So highly, highly recommended. Awesome, man. So I have some some cool stuff. <laughs> we, I know we, we were talking about like getting out of off of ArtStation, but there are some things that just talking about just basically showcasing work. I mean, this stuff's fantastic, and it's the one thing that's just really great about you know talking to you and some of the other artists on Twitter is that you're able to kind of throw these images up, and that's great. But one thing that I really like recently about uh, some of the stuff that's going on in ArtStation is the idea of that ArtStation blog uh, and kind of getting away from like the normal way that we uh, portfolios are kind of portrayed. I love ArtStation, but usually the way that you look at the portfolios, it's just like you don't really see a lot of work in progress unless it's, it's really important to whatever the pieces that they're showing. And being able to kind mm-hmm. of move into this direction within an, an art an artist website where they're going to end up showing, you're going to end up being able to show inspiration of what you're working on and maybe put up some of these images on your, in your blog and then also show some of the work that you're working on, some of your personal work. And then when your portfolio work, you're able to show your portfolio work, you show, show that on the blog, and then you put in your portfolio, I think is going to be really, really cool. I'm really interested mm-hmm. to see where this goes because anything that kind of uh, really showcases process of artists, especially environment artists, is going to be really, really interesting because like character artists is it's really interesting you're working with silhouette and you're working with different details on the character but environment art just because it's how unwieldy it becomes in the sense of one level might take multiple people it's going to be really really wild to kind of go through and and, and see things kind of break down um on these blogs and, and be a little little less uh, um finished or, or polished with it i like the idea of seeing things unfinished seeing errors made, uh, lessons learned, and I really hope to see this stuff kind of go with the ArtStation blog. 
Uh, the other thing yeah. I wanted to talk to you about is um, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, but uh, a couple of days ago I watched the Overwatch League uh, that Blizzard has just uh, um, shown, and I was really, I really, not. yeah, it's yeah. it's it's pretty pretty awesome. Uh, I was really really impressed with it, and I started having all these uh, ideas and just like discussions with a couple of my friends, uh, a couple of dev friends about, you know, what is this going to mean for environment art? I mean, you're talking about, you know, when you go to see a football game and you go to see a baseball game, you're sitting in uh, uh, stadium seats around a field. We have the ability now to truck cameras around a space in a spectator mode and follow different players playing. How will the, that's one thing, but how will the environments in a game like Overwatch or any other esports game kind of change? I remember mm -hmm. talking to my friends and, and almost drawing to a, an equivalent to uh, years ago uh, before I went to college. Uh, paintball be became really big on the East Coast. I know the yeah. West Coast too. It was huge. Oh, and yeah, they yeah, started yeah. having yeah. arena battles or, you know, like actual like professional sports paintball. And they were trying to get into the uh, Olympics for a while, I remember. But paintball started as like a, a skirmish battle where you would fight in the woods. And it was known right off the bat that to be able to make this a watchable sport, no one was going to kind of like walk out into the middle of the woods and watch it. I know there's like Red Bull races and everything where people go out in the middle of nowhere and watch dirt bikes and everything. But for something like paintball, they, they try to solve it with uh, what was called airball and hyperball. It had all these different names for paintball, try to you know put pizzazz on it. But they would have these sets of inflatable bunkers that they would put around. They were only at certain – uh, heights and they had um, advertisements on them and they were different colors and I'm just curious of what that's going to become well, will we see overwatch maps with advertisements on them and the height of the maps will come down will they look more like stadiums later on will that happen with games like player unknown battlegrounds will things kind of um, melt down into more of like a minimalist design uh, with uh, the the level design and the way that uh the the artist portrayed it's just something that i'm constantly thinking about the more and more that these games are trying to um kind of break into this viewership space and into this sports space yeah yeah no that's a really good point to kind of consider right it's like you think of like sports fields and they're fairly minimal right they're they're bare bones of like what you need to know in terms of like <laughs> yep. here's the lines like here's the batter's box here's where you know like the like you know like here's middle of the field right yep. like here's where the three-point line is like all that stuff is just bare bones with that stuff yeah it's 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 interesting to i hadn't really thought about that before but yeah you know yeah yeah it'll be interesting to kind of come back and see what happens later yeah. on it um yeah, for sure uh but like so like i was kind of interested in 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 watching this but at the same time uh uh AGDQ, uh, Awesome Games Done Quick was going on during the week too, and that's kind of like my like, you know, I'm not really into speed running, but I really enjoy the fact that these people get together for a skill that you know, like for for the most part, it's like, yeah, okay, it's cool to see this stuff, but like, what else are you gonna do, right? But these yeah. people spend a lot of time dedicated to this stuff, and then they come together twice a year and they raise millions of dollars over the course of a week for a charity. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah fantastic so and like i like to watch it because it's also like cool like a couple of the games i might know and i can actually see somebody going through this and doing stuff to a game that is just like oh wow okay like 
like there's a guy that 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 beat I think the original Ratchet and Clank in like 30 minutes or something on like that's awesome. last Sunday and like I'm just like dude what <laughs> like, <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome wow. um but uh, but yeah so like I missed the entire Overwatch League opening but uh you know so being out here in Los Angeles specifically kind of in the Burbank area there uh, the the uh, arena that I guess they were doing most of this in is actually down the street um from us at uh, Insomniac not totally down the street but it's a little it's in town right so yeah. like I'll drive by it a couple nights a week and you know for the longest time like you know, that area that studio used to be uh like where Johnny Carson did the Tonight Show, Jay Leno did the Tonight Show, and then after Leno left, uh, NBC used to, I guess, occupy the space. They've left since then, and then the studio's kind of been lingering for a couple of years, and then, you know, a couple months ago, Blizzard was like, all right, we bought a studio out here in Hollywood. And I was like, oh, that's cool, and then I drove down one night, and, and I just saw Blizzard, like, plastered everywhere on, on the building. You see inside of the lobby that's there, it's just like Overwatch, like icons and like just like what is oh what's this is crazy okay that's cool but like um like it's cool to see that like they're trying to do regional teams because i'm again i'm not particularly interested all that much in esports i I definitely grew up more of a traditional sports fan so it's interesting to see that aspect now coming to esports that i think can be attractive to people that are more to be interested in that, but haven't necessarily taken the full step in there. Cause you're at least like, okay, I can identify with a team and say, this is my, right. Oh, I think I lost you here. Oh. Are, you, are you still there? Okay. Yep. Yep. Nope. I'm still there. Cool. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry about that. The, um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you're basically just talking about the sports teams and the way that they're, they're naming them after the actual cities. It'll be interesting to see what happens. And I'm I'm yeah. actually interested to see if that yeah, actually sure. expands to other games and how that kind of goes. It would be really interesting to see these kind of like triathlon esports players that are playing Street Fighter all the way over to Overwatch, and these teams end up being these kind of these really interesting conglomerates of just different players from different games. So it would be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah, no. Um, cool. So the, I have a couple couple last kind of closing things here. I, I figured it would be really kind of cool just because w- when we go through these uh, these podcasts, to kind of just like, talk about where our headspace is, you know, what's in, insp- uh, inspiring us. But we are gamers. We are game developers. Are there any things that you're kind of playing or, or, or watching right now, you know, movies or games that uh, you just want to give a shout out to? That I'm playing right now this week? Um I mean, for the last month or so, I've been kind of going back to a lot of older, I guess, longer than the last month. If anybody sees my my like collection of old games over the last year, but uh, in particular, uh, I ended up acquiring a original NES uh, over the wow. holiday break, and so I've been playing. And I I uh, got a flash cart to go with that. Put some ROMs awesome. on there. Say what you will, but uh, <laughs> about that. But, but like, I was like, you know, NES games are super expensive. I don't really want to spend that. <laughs> or, yeah, man, you know, you're you're uh, you're preserving history. history. Yeah, you're preserving history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... yeah exactly. That's what it is. so. <laughs> I can play some like NES 
Flintstone games that are like five thousand dollars on eBay. Oh, that's ridiculous! Yeah, that's, <laughs> we don't it's, have... it's it's cool to go back to a lot of these older games, and you know, like for for myself, I particularly think like the SNES era has so much to do with modern games and kind of what like we do now. You know, like there's a lot of foundational things that I think hold up today if you go back and play that more than like the NES and certainly more than the Atari or like eras before then, right? Um, so 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 it's interesting to go back to the NES and there's definitely stuff where you're playing a game and you're just like, you know, there, you know, checkpoints are bad or there's no save file option for the stuff. You have to put in passwords, which used to be a thing before, uh, you know, like battery save uh, on, on like a lot of carts. Um, but, you know, there's still fundamental stuff, right? Like, you can see an entire industry trying to figure out how to make something really interesting. Uh, yeah. You know, particularly looking at, like, older Nintendo games, you know, uh, it's interesting to see how that evolution jumps into, like, the Super Nintendo era. So, uh, Man. heck yeah. Yeah, and, and and seeing like these guys that kind of like came together in the mid to late '80s to make a lot of really classic games, then said, "All right, what can we do with more powerful hardware?" And all of the lessons that we've already learned over the last, you know, like five to seven years, right? Like in a lot of cases, yeah. it's like their college, you know, yeah. and it just so happens like you know their school happened to be Nintendo, and like there's <laughs> Miyamoto, and you know are like these geniuses that ended up just like forming everything that we kind of think about as games as a whole. Um, And like, you know, it doesn't get spoken about often, but like, it's kind of crazy to think about how influential, like the original Mario brothers was to games. Like time after that game, when you thought of a video game, you thought of a 2d platformer. Yeah. Like I cannot imagine that now. Like we are so diverse in genres, which is great and fantastic, but it's just like, here's a f- formula of how to do a particular type of game. I know, man. And, and people just ran with that. What's crazy about that to me, too, is just like when you play something like the new Mario Odyssey, how much of that stuff sticks around. Just the pacing and the momentum of the jump. And then even bringing back old NES-style platforming into the new game it's just it just shows that stuff really did break new ground and it was a huge foundational building block to where we are yeah. today yeah and like there's a lot of stuff and, and a lot of games that do interesting things with that f- formula that i think sometimes don't necessarily get fully mentioned like little samson which is like a very obscure nes like late nes game that is like one of the most expensive carts out there um does yeah. some really cool kind of like mega man in terms of like multiple powers and character switches and does a really nice uh like level design layout throughout most of the game like that stuff's really cool um you know even going back and play and, and so as a person that never really grew up on Mega Man games it's interesting to go back and actually be like you know those games are really good like that's a cool concept to be like you know yeah, pick whatever <laughs> level you want to go to there is a rock, paper, scissors element to this. There's a strategy to this that you have to kind of figure out. And, you know, now it's easy enough because I can go online and be like, all right, what boss should I do first to get his power to get this one? But, you know, just the thought of even being like as a kid and having this game and probably spending months or years of my life trying to figure out the right route 
to take to get to the end of this game. Like it's like that, that's a really powerful like powerful formula to consider like nowadays. Heck yeah. Even. Like it still feels fresh. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's yeah, and yeah. Don't don't get me started. I love. I'm a huge Mega Man X fan. Oh, oh <laughs> man. Like, okay. We'll have to like a Mega Man podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tune into our Mega Man podcast. Yeah. No. Oh, have you have you played <laughs> Dead Rising? No. So, um, I guess one last thing I'll I'll end with just in the sense of like games I've been playing. Uh, I've been checking out the the Dragon Ball Fighters Z Fighter Z Fighters. Uh, however it's pronounced, it's freaking awesome. I was a huge fan of the Arxis, uh Guilty Gear stuff. I'm oh, yeah. not a huge fan of Dragon Ball. I just was kind of passed over it at the time. The age when all my buds started watching it and when I f- felt like I was kind of ready to try to get into it, uh, Samurai Jack came out and I watched that instead. So that's how I kind of bypassed it. But coming back and, and playing this new game and have having it be so intentionally made to look like the old uh, manga and, and anime is just awesome and it's fun as heck to play mm-hmm. i don't know how to play yet i play a lot of fighting games but um just getting in there and just not knowing what i'm doing has been one of the better experiences of all the fighters that i've played recently but other okay. than that i mean other than that i recently i uh, came around to this my buddy we talk a lot about music and records at work but the one thing that kind of broke out to me is uh uh there's a I'm sure a lot of people know about him, but it's a, a, a YouTube guy named by the name of Nerdwriter, and he does a bunch of just like breaking down some of his favorite oh, yeah. music yeah. and movies. And he did something on um, – he did a little breakdown on Dreams or Fleetwood Mac and Rumors, and he kind of focused on the, the, mm-hmm. the song Dreams. And it was really awesome to kind of go back to that record and when they were working on it in the 70s and start to draw – I do this all the time with music and, and movies and – draw parallels to what we're doing in the in game development right now mm-hmm. especially and it just was wild to watch stevie nicks the 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 lead vocalist of fleetwood mac write this song on the piano and then kick it over to the guitarist Lindsay buchanan and he would start adding the guitarist and then he'd kick it back and they would add something else and they would kick it to the drummer and he'd add the drums and he'd kick it to the basses. and we do a lot of that in game development but something that yeah. i've been really kind of wishing that like we keep moving forward to is just just more collaboration in the sense of like you know like maybe having you, you might have a couple senior environment artists or principal artists that you're tossing like kind of the same map back and forth and i know a couple of studios do that but just like seeing more of that kind of in, be integrated into pipelines um would be really wild it's just like kind of almost treating like levels almost as like uh I mean, like we kind of treat them as paintings already, but like the way yeah. that like this this kind of like song element to it is like, hey, I'm I'm adding a little stuff over here and having the time, and uh, and um, and and communication and teamwork to do that, I think is really special. I've I've had a couple uh, opportunities to do that in the past, and it's always made better products. So like yeah. that to me was always like a the, watching that video was a huge inspiration of just like keeping the collaboration up. And I think at, at one point or another, I'll have to do a personal project with somebody where. So it's like a living corpse type of thing where maybe we pass it back and forth over a year and see where it ha- you know where it goes or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. That would be really fun to yeah. fun to do. But yeah, that's you know, awesome. Living corpse, I, living I, corpse. I, I think it's really, really like that guy's stuff. Too. <laughs> yeah, the living corpse environment. Art. <laughs> living contest. corpse environment. Art. <laughs> yeah. It's a contest you spend over the over the course of a year to do. <laughs> that's that's good. Good. 
That would be uh, actually pretty. That <laughs> sounds like either a really awesome thing I or really, a great there's health, all these health problems that we all gained from doing. I sat down too long. I can't get up. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, oh well, oh. man, we've been talking for a while. I think this is kind of a great stopping point here. Uh, I th I think that I, I th the one thing that I would like to say and uh, thanks Ryan for for trying this out with me. I think this is oh, a yeah, blast. Man. I hope we can do it again. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The one Whoa. thing I would like to tell you or our viewers or more listeners because of podcast is that, you know, tune back in. We're going to try to kind of make this into something cool where we're going to get into student stuff. We're going to get into different facets of environment art. I know we kind of did an overview today that was intentional, uh, but going in and, and getting some interviews, um, lighting, tech artists, even getting some character artists in here and talking about back and forth and level designers, I think would be a blast. And just really kind of celebrating environment art and game game development um, for the awesome thing that it is would be, I think, a blast to do. So yeah, I just absolutely. Get, like to thank everyone for tuning in. And I don't know, Ryan, if you want to say anything and close this out, uh, go ahead. Yeah, no. Oh, hey, look, first off, like, hey, like, Justin's really been pushing on this and doing a lot of the legwork for this uh, for like a while. Like, it's like we've been trying to get this going for a while. Uh, we both feel like this is uh, um, a lot of aspiring environment artists, current environment artists, um, you know, and so we'd like to have a discussion with people. So if there's things you would like to know or questions that you have for us, uh, you know, please contact either one of us. I'm sure we'll probably end up throwing up at some point an actual place to message us if you have specific questions yeah. for anything. Because, yeah, like we want to tailor this to people that are in the industry, students, like people that just are, are, are just fans of like environment art, which I'm sure there's people out there that are it's like, I really, I have a fine taste of like video game environment <laughs> art. I don't, but like, um, you know, anything that you guys want to hear about, you know, kind of like Justin said, we're hoping to have some guests on here at some point as well and, and do a couple interviews with them. Uh, there's a few people we, of people that we would like to speak to. So, uh, you know, on the docket, but yeah, you know, this is fun. You know, like there's a lot of times where, you know, you'll see people talking online about a lot of technical stuff, but we want to kind of talk about the nitty gritty of like, Hey, this is how, and also like the artistry of what we do, um, and really kind of embracing that. Cause you know, that's also a huge part of what we do, right? Like at the end of the day, we are entertainers to some extent. And so we have to, you know, I feel like we do have to embrace that to some point and entertain people and get people excited and take them through an emotional journey through stuff, um, you know, beyond just like the craftsmanship of like, just as equally important because we still have, you know, like as much as you might have this emotional intent of what you want to make, if you don't know how to make it, you can't execute on it. It's important to do that. So, um, yeah. you know, yeah, let's, let's, you know, that's the hope of what we're going to go through uh, this journey. Awesome, dude. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, and let's get out of here. Thanks. Yeah, thanks.